So I'm a big fan of transparency across all aspects of life. Like generally speaking, there's pretty much nothing I wouldn't rather be told straight up. But specifically when I'm buying something or paying for a service, I just want to know what I'm getting myself into. And oftentimes there can be so much nonsense or so much yada yada. For example, sneaky terms hidden in the fine print of contracts or bills that randomly go up without properly alerting you or budget airlines with cheap fares, but then exorbitant fees to make up for it elsewhere. And we just should not need to be dealing with this type of yada yada in our lives. And yes, you could read every single word of every single contract and that's one way of avoiding it. Or you can go with a trusted brand like Metro by T-Mobile that helps you to get ahead and not pull you back. That's right. You don't take yada yada from life. So don't take yada yada from your wireless provider. Metro by T-Mobile has no contracts, no credit checks, no surprises, and not a yada yada, which honestly gives so much peace of mind. Like you shouldn't have to compromise for an okay option with sacrifices when you really deserve that full transparency. Stop by one of over 6,000 Metro stores nationwide. Before we start, we just want to take a second to tell you guys about Bud Light. It's summertime and that means it's time to get outside and enjoy the weather with some crisp, refreshing Bud Lights. Bud Light has the perfect summer lineup with Bud Light Lime and Bud Light Orange, both brewed with real citrus peels. New and just in time for summer is Bud Light Lemon Tea, brewed with real lemon peels and tea leaves. It's the ideal drink for summer, but it's only here for a limited time, so get it before it's gone. And to really get you in the summer spirit, Bud Light is giving everyone the chance to win the getaway of a lifetime. You can win two tickets aboard a VIP cruise to the Bahamas this summer, featuring a live performance by Jake Owen and, of course, plenty of Bud Light. For a chance to win, simply post your Bud Light summertime photos using the hashtags hashtag RealEnoughToGetAway and hashtag BudLightContest on Facebook and Instagram. See BudLight.com slash RealEnoughToGetAway for more details. Hi guys, I'm Emma. And I'm Julie. And we're the girls behind Comments by Celebs. And welcome to episode 24 of our Kardashian bonus show. So as you know, we are in the off season. <laughs> Is this, is this how athletes feel? <laughs> I was about to say. Um, the next episode of Keeping Up with the Kardashians is September 15th. So we have about seven more episodes left where we're doing various deep dives, random topics, kind of anything that we think would be interesting or that we find fascinating and want to share with you. So last week we did Kanye, and it just seemed fitting that, of course, this week we had to do the matriarch of the entire family, the woman who started it all, Kris Jenner. Can you believe it took us 24 episodes to do a Kris deep dive? No, I'm almost, I don't know if I'm disappointed or just what the what the word is. I can't believe you let me do a Kanye deep dive before we did a Kris deep dive. I know, but here we are. Yeah, I'm excited about this. Listen, better late than ever. So as always, I say like, there's no way we could have gotten everything. Julie did an excellent job. It's a really hefty outline. We listened to a large portion of her book, which was excellent and I highly recommend. But listen, we don't have every single detail, but we're going to do our best. Are you ready? I'm so excited. Me too. Wow, I'm pumped. We found out some really like juicy shit. The book, I can't wait to get into the book. I know. Also, the other thing that's kind of interesting is that Chris literally released like a book on her life. And when you look, Julie was saying, when you look on the internet, that information isn't so readily accessible. You kind of have to read the book to get it. No, it's impossible to find. And I did a lot of research before I read the book and I like figured that it would be the same. It's like some from like Wikipedia, some from the biography, some from like a, a couple of other sources. And everything was kind of wrong. Like the way she tells it in the book is like the specific details in the right timeline. And then everything online is like the right overarching, you know, storyline, but with the details all wrong, the storyline, the, the timeline so off. So that was weird. It's like, she laid it all out for us. Why couldn't somebody just put it on the internet? Well, we did. Kinda. <laughs> okay, we're going to do the same as always. So chronologically, we're going to start from her life. It's going to be, let me just say, 
we're not going to get too much into present day because we want to talk about the stuff that nobody knows about. Like, yeah, you guys know present day. We know, yeah, we all do, but we didn't know the beforehand. So let's start. Let me take you back to November 5th, 1955 in San Diego, California. That Ooh. also makes Chris a Scorpio. And that is when she came into this world. So she was born to Mary Jo Shannon, known as MJ, and her father, Robert True Houghton. Again, as you're hearing that, you know, True, that's one of the reasons that Chloe named True, True. Correct. Um, he was an engineer, her father. So when Chris was seven, this was in 1967, her parents got divorced and her and her sister Karen were raised by her mother. And after the divorce, their father was kind of involved in their lives for a little bit, but eventually he kind of fell out of touch. And he came back into her life when she was a teenager, but then he died in a car accident when Chris was 20. So she did not really have that much of a relationship with her father one, because he wasn't there. And then two, at the time when she could, he passed away. They had, she describes it as like, once he came back into her life, it was like a friendship. It was like, because her she has a stepdad that we'll get into that she considers her dad. And then once her like biological father came back into the picture, it was like, it was like her friend. Like they were really close during that time. And then he, when he passed away, unfortunately, she took it really hard. But it was just because she had like just gotten to know him again. Exactly. So her sister, Karen, who I briefly mentioned, She's kind of under-discussed in all of this. Like, we, first of all, I didn't even know she had a sister. Yeah. Um, they apparently don't have a close relationship. And according to reports that we found, Chris kind of tries to keep Karen out of the spotlight, I guess, because she disapproves of her lifestyle choices. Is that a good way to put it, would you say? Yeah. Um, she apparently, like, has dated a lot of men that Chris disapproved of, and it was, like, different drugs. And I, I don't know the full story there. I think there's a lot more to it that we're not, like, privy to. But I think she just, for the most part, for her— for Karen's privacy, just like tries to keep her far as mm -hmm. possible. But then, I don't know if you remember this, a couple of years ago, Karen got a facelift to like make herself look like Chris. Was that a thing? You don't know, no, it was like a thing. I don't remember that. It was like, it was like a thing. If you look at a picture of her, it's like she like went from like, oh, you kind of look like Chris Jenner to like, you look like you're trying to be Chris Jenner. Wow. It's really interesting. That's interesting. So just a little background on Karen. She has a daughter. Her name's Natalie Zatel, and she's an aspiring model. She has about like 43,000 followers on Instagram. And from what we discovered, and again, you know how it's kind of hard with following, apparently Chris is the only member of the Kardashian family that follows her niece. Natalie's apparently close with MJ, but isn't really close to the rest of the family. Again, it's limited information, but that's kind of what we gathered. And again, not that any of this is groundbreaking, but it's important to have kind of context. Yeah. Also, this it's just interesting. Like, imagine you're the cousin of the Kardashians. You're aspiring to be a model, but you have no relationship with them to help. Like, it's just so interesting. Like, Kendall is literally your cousin who's the top paid supermodel. I know. <laughs> and you've got 43,000 followers on Instagram. It's, there's definitely more to the story that we don't know. There has to be. I would love to know it. This whole thing had made, has made me more fascinated by Chris Jenner than I ever thought was possible. Because I already thought I was at peak fascination, and it, it tripled. I know. It's like when you get a, like these details now, it's like, oh, my God. Yeah. And you just want more. So MJ's mother, Chris's grandmother, her name was Lou Ethel Wyatt, and she owned a candle shop that Chris used to help out at. She kind of was— integral in helping MJ to raise Chris and Karen, especially after, you know, their father kind of left. And Chris repeatedly in the book and in interviews talks about how influential of a person her grandmother was and how big of an impact she had on her life, which you'll just notice throughout this. It's a very, it's a theme of like women empowerment and, and yes. strong women. And, and it was basically, it's not a coincidence that she has turned into this role. No, that's, yeah. It was almost she, she was kind of born into it. Exactly. So then, 
a few years after Chris's parents got divorced, she got remarried and she had met this guy named Harry Shannon and they were dating like very on and off. And he apparently had like a drinking issue and but they were like in love and and he really wanted to be with her. And she, I think he proposed to her, the story is, proposed to MJ and MJ was like, I'm not saying yes to you until you quit drinking. And he like quit drinking the next day. And, like, they got married. And Chris really, like, I was saying, like, Chris cites him as her father. Like, in the book, when Chris is writing, she's like, my parents, my dad, Harry. Like, that's her father. That was the person who was so instrumental in her life. And she was saying that he stepped into that role and, like, became her and her sister's father. And, like, showed her so much about, like, non-biological parents being there, which is obviously such a theme for these kids throughout the whole, like, their whole lives. Like, such even a Chris's grandkids, Chris's own kids. It's, like, such, like, an important mm-hmm. part. Mm-hmm. Um, just a fun fact about Chris around this time. When she, after her parents got divorced, when she was eight, she developed a cancerous bone tumor, and the cancer didn't spread. Everything was fine. She went under surgery, but it was kind of— like, when you think back on it, I, I wonder if in her life she cites that as, I don't want to say trauma, but there was a chance that if it if it couldn't be removed, that her leg was going to have to get amputated. Well, her parents had to sign a form before she went into surgery saying that if they found the cancer had spread, or I don't know exactly, like, the medical, but if they had found something, they had permission to amputate her leg in, the, in that moment. Can you and imagine? she went into that surgery expecting that there was a chance she was going to wake up without a leg. It's really intense stuff. Yeah. And, and she was at a young age, so she probably didn't fully understand it, but still, you're eight, you get it. It's like you're four. She was saying she discovered it because she, like, had bumped her leg, and then the next day she'd woke up, and there was, like, literally a bump the size of a lemon on her leg, and they were like, it's not normal. Oh my God. So... Chris now graduates high school. She graduated Claremont High School in 1973. She never went to college. She apparently was more interested in kind of becoming a wife and a mother. It was her goal. Like, as as a young girl, that's what she wanted. She always wanted to be a homemaker and be a wife and be a mother. And I think that it wasn't like she just fell into that role. In certain ways, she did, but it wasn't like that wasn't something she had aspired to. Right. She always knew she wanted a big family. Also, in 1976, that was three years after she graduated high school, that's when she was a flight attendant for American Airlines. We're going to get into a lot more in a little. Oh, yes, we are. Okay. Let us now enter Rob Kardashian. So, Chris met Robert for the first time in 1972 at the Del Mar Racetrack. I'm so excited to talk about this. Holy shit. No, me too. I know. Okay. So, they met at the Del Mar Racetrack in California when she was 17 and he was 28. Okay. So at this time, she was dating this professional golfer. And I believe they were engaged when she first met Robert or like sometime after she met Robert, they got engaged. Um, But she describes meeting Robert and Robert came up to her and was like, you you look like a girl I used to date. Like, what's your name? And she was like, or like said her name. And she was like, that's, that's not me. And he was like, well, what's, what's your name? And she was like, Chris. And he, she had no interest in him. He was this old, like much older guy, like who wouldn't leave her alone. And he was there with his brother, Tommy. And he, every, everywhere Chris went throughout the racetrack, it was like Robert showed up. And Robert said to her, like, let me get your number. So I'll, I'll call you. I want to take you out. And she's like, no, I'm not giving you my number. And she's he's like, well, at least tell me your last name. Like, tell me where you live. So Robert had his friend who works at, like the phone company, look up her number and get it for her. And the number that Robert had a call to ask her out was her boyfriend at the time's number because she was living at his house. I think it was her fiance. I think they were engaged at the time. I think they were the engaged too. I'm not 100. The, the timeline's also a little iffy there. Even in the book, it wasn't 100% clear. But 
Uh, the way that it was described, her relationship with this guy that she was engaged to or dating, is that she kind of knew that it wasn't really going to work out. Like, she was too young, but I guess they got— it got intense kind of fast. And that was one of the reasons, aside from not being that into Robert initially, it was also like she was seeing, she was fully seeing someone, which as we'll get into, didn't stop her. But <laughs> so we'll talk about that later. Robert, like right after this happened, Robert called her and was like, I want to, I want to take you out. And she was like, fine, come to San Diego. So he flew from LA to San Diego to take her out and literally picked her up at her boyfriend's house, took her to the movies. Imagine flying from LA to San Diego just to go to the movies. I can't. <laughs> all, all of it. And then that night, she brought him back to her house, which was the boyfriend's house or the fiance's house, and he like caught them together, um, but didn't catch them in bed. It was like she caught he like caught them just in the house together, and they were like dressed. So I think she was able to play it off a little bit. Yeah, they didn't. Her and her boyfriend at the time, or fiance, whatever it is, they didn't break up over this. Like he he recognized that something was going on, but it wasn't like she he caught them in the act. So they continued to. They well <laughs> after after he caught them she he was like you know Robert was like once you figure this out let me know because like I can't you know but they still spoke and they would still speak on the phone and Chris was saying that Robert would call her even though she was with this other guy and be like I want to take you out I want, like what are you like have you figured out something yet and he he would say I'm gonna come in I'm gonna t- come take you out whatever and she would always come up with these like ridiculous excuses I think a theme throughout Chris's book slash life is that she was not great at lying mm-hmm. because she the, the excuses she says in this book is like she would call Robert and be like oh, like I, my eye hurts like she would just come up with the dumbest things to like because she would panic and be like, I can't see you. I'm with somebody else. And basically, she was talking to Robert all the time. She was still with this guy. She was traveling with him because he was a golfer. And she just, like, didn't know how to break things off with him. They were engaged. Like, she just literally didn't know what to do. And she caught him cheating on her eventually and was like, thank God this is my out. And then immediately called Robert as soon as she had caught them. Yeah, and at this time, so— just to backtrack for a second, like I said in the beginning, her father passed away when she was 20. And she first met Robert for the first time when she was 17. So now three years have gone by of them knowing each other, whatever, they're kind of dating-ish. And she said, like, she found herself right after her father died. That's when she was, you know, seeing Robert a little more. And she found herself wishing that her father had gotten a chance to know him, which to me is such a telling sign of the way you feel oh, about it someone. It's like, to me, that's textbook. It's like the second you wish that your parent knew them or want your wants your parent to meet them, it, it changes things. Well, especially because her dad did know the other guy that she was with. Right. He had was, met him at like a, um, an, a lot of times. And can I tell you the epitome of that? Yeah. It's like that meme we always talk about when you go to the supermarket and like you look terrible, you're wearing nothing and you want to say to all the cashiers, like, I promise I can do better. I bet that's what you want to say to her dad. Like, like I promise, I, promise I, can do better. I can do better. Right. You know what I mean? Like, I want you to meet Robert. Look at the like difference with these also, two guys. Also, you have to keep in mind, like Robert was so much older than her, but he was already like this big shot lawyer at the time. Like, I, like the way they were describing it, it was like everyone in Beverly Hills wanted Robert Kardashian. He was the most eligible bachelor at the time. And she was like in his like line and she couldn't figure out how to be with him. It was kind of the way that I envisioned it as I was reading and, and listening to the audiobook. It was like, he really only had eyes for her at this time. It's like, he he was a lawyer. He knew, he was a go-getter. And it was like, this is what he wanted. He wanted right. Chris and he, he was going to get her. He could have had anybody else. Exactly. He could have had anybody else. Exactly. He didn't have to waste his time waiting for this like young girl to figure out her life and figure out who she wanted to be with. He was just like, I'm waiting for you to be done because you're like, you're the one. Right. So the first time after Chris is finally, you know, she catches the other guy in, in bed with another woman, the whole thing. 
Now she can have her first proper date with Robert. And she flies to LA this time, and he picks her up from the airport with none other than motherfucking OJ Simpson in the car. And I think Chris wasn't really aware how close they were at the time because she was like, what is, like, this was the peak of OJ's football career. You have to remember, this isn't like after the trial of the century. This isn't right before, like, OJ was in his absolute peak here. And here comes this guy picking Chris up from the airport and OJ Simpson is, that's a baller move. It is. And also you have to remember everything we've ever heard about OJ, like pre and even post, is that he is so charismatic. He's so friendly. He's so warm. Like she said, he was like the like the most charming guy you could imagine. He was the definition of larger than life. Exactly. So she describes that after that initial time that she flew to LA, she then flew to LA like the next every, like the next three weekends. And the third week that they were together, Robert proposed to her. And she was like, are you crazy? Like, I, I can't accept a proposal after three weeks of dating. And he was like, so upset. But the way she was describing it was that she had met everybody in his life. That first weekend that she came to visit him, his parents, his friends, everybody, he, he wanted to show her off. And there's actually a story that before they even got together, she he had called her and said, I just bought a house in Beverly Hills with my brother. I'm having a housewarming. I want you to come and be my date. They weren't together at this time. She was still with that other guy. And she was in Europe, but she said that she would be there and she said she would fly home and she would come with him. And she couldn't figure out how to leave Europe. She was with the guy in Europe. He was doing a golf thing. And Robert was crushed. He was crushed that she didn't come home and so embarrassed because he had told everyone, he was like, I have this gorgeous girl. She's coming as my date, whatever. She was so embarrassed. So it's even crazier that not only did he like forgave her, it was like he couldn't get past it. Like this was the one. So as soon as he got her, he was like, I'm not letting her go. So he proposed and she was like, are you, are you crazy? Like I can't marry you after three weeks. And he was so crushed, but they like kept dating. And at that time was when she started working for American Airlines. And he kind of saw it as a slap in the face that she was like, not only not accepting his proposal, but kind of trying to figure out her, her life outside of him. Number one, that. And number two, being that it was a flight attendant, she was never around. So the distance was like very, very challenging. It was at the exact time that he was trying to make this more official. And she not only gets a new job, also then is just flying across the country. So once she got this job, he broke up with her. And that's when he was dating Priscilla Presley. And it's so interesting the way she tells the story in the book. It's like, even when he was dating Priscilla Presley, they were talking. So he would call her and tell her like all of these things about Priscilla and be like, I don't know what to buy her for this gift or I don't know what to do for this event with her or I'm taking Priscilla here. And she would tell him about being a flight attendant and all of these things. And they, she never says like, and on this day, like Robert broke up with Priscilla and we decided to be there. There was just like Priscilla faded out, I guess. They never, she never like marks an official end to that relationship. And I guess they just, because they were talking so much, they, they made it work. And Chris was living in New York. That was where her, she was based. And she kept like applying to be put in for a transfer to go to live in LA. And they were like, you're never going to get it. It was like the top flight attendants. Like you had to have seniority to be placed in LA. And Robert would come to New York because he was there for so many different things and they, and they made it work, but she finally got transferred to LA. And it was like the biggest thing because it was like, okay, this is the blessing. Like, this is the sign that like I can be with Robert. And she was saying that even after she got transferred to LA, she was just like, how is this guy not proposed to me yet? Like I'm living or finally in the same place. Like he, this is the guy that proposed after three weeks of dating. Right. And so they were, this is when, and tell me if I'm wrong. Cause I think I have my timeline, right? They moved in together. Yes. Right. So they move in together, like things are going well. He had proposed to her, I don't know, a little while ago, hasn't again. And all of a sudden, seemingly out of nowhere, 
Robert becomes basically a born-again Christian. Well, they started going to church together. And I think it was like he, he like, was— like maybe on the cusp of becoming a boarding, like trying to get back into it. And then once he was really in it, he was like in it. And that's when, you want to say it? You know, you love this part. I just think it's crazy. He said to her, you know, we're not married. I don't think we can live together. But they were already living together. That's what together. I'm saying. They were already living together. And he was like, I don't think that we can live together anymore. Like, I don't think we can have sex. And she, she's like, are you literally fucking kidding me? This is the guy that asked me to marry him three weeks after meeting. Like, what is going on? But also imagine being in a relationship where you're living together, having consistent sex, and then all of a sudden it's like, okay, bye. Like, not bye, you're still around, but that's all off the table now. So, and she did it. That's the thing. She did it. So you would have done it for Robert Kardashian too. I was about to say I would have done the same thing. And also, I think that like the distance kind of spices things. When up Robert a Kardashian pulls up in his white wool's voice and he says, "We're not really having sex right now," you say, "Okay, I can wait." <laughs> exactly. So you know, he whatever they she moves out, they still stay together. I guess at some point he he proposes and they get married on July eighth, nineteen seventy eight, when she was twenty two. Keep in mind that is five years after they met for the first time at that racetrack. So. <sighs> It's actually a, a relatively decent amount of time considering everything that happened. You right. know what I mean? And it's so interesting because she was telling this story about um, she went out with one of her friends and they were walking by a jewelry store. It could have been Van Cleef. I don't, I'm not 100% sure. I think she said that. And she like looked at this engagement ring and was like, oh my God, that's my dream ring. Like that's the one I want. And when Robert proposed to her, he gave her uh, a page cut out of like a magazine that she had gotten in Europe when she was traveling and was like, I'm going to get you a dream ring. Like I will get you the perfect ring. And uh, like, I guess a couple of weeks later, he was like, I have something for you and gave her the ring that she was looking at at the window. And she said, she was like, how did you know to get this ring? And he's like, what are you talking about? She's like, this is the ring that I said I wanted when I walked by the store with one of my friends. She was like, no, I had no idea. No one told me. He just, he was like, I saw that ring and thought it would be perfect for you. And she was like, that was the sign I needed. She was like, if I didn't already know, that was it. Well, because she thought, like the rest of us thought, that the friend that she was with would have said something to him, like tipped him off, like, hey, by the way. And he, it, that really didn't happen. He just intuitively knew, which, let me tell you something. No matter how great the guy is, the fact for them to intuitively know what kind of jewelry you like, like, come right. on. And that's a big deal. I don't no, know. Oh, my God. So she has her bridal shower at Hotel Bel Air and they get married at the Westwood United Methodist Church. She describes it as like not an expense spared. So the former florist of the Nixon White House did the flowers. The reception was at the Bel Air Country Club. She just said it was magical, right? That's how she described it. It was just like the perfect day. Exactly what you would expect a Kris Jenner, Robert Kardashian wanting to be. That's what it was. It was glamour. That When I think of them and I think of this time of her life, especially the way she described it, which we'll get into, the word that consistently comes to my mind is just glamorous. Yeah. When you think of them, they're like a 1970s painting in, a, in Palm Springs. Like, mm-hmm. you know what I mean? Like mm-hmm. that kind of picture. They are. So for their honeymoon, Robert took her to France and Italy. And it was on their honeymoon when Chris got pregnant with Courtney. So let me just take you through the timeline of all the kids' births, and we'll get more into it. April 18th, 1979, Courtney is born. Okay, one year later, October, Kim is born. Kim, just fun fact, was conceived when they were in Aspen. June 27th, 1984, four years later, that's when Chloe was born. She was conceived in Italy. And March 17th, 1987 was when Rob was born. So there was a span of eight years when she had these four kids. Also, she noted that the reason that so many of the kids were conceived on vacations, three of the four, was because they had their best sex on vacations. She said that. She was like, we had amazing sex every time we traveled. I never understood that about like when people can like say exactly when they conceive their kids. 
Like, if you're having such consistent sex, how do you know that one time in Italy was when you conceived? Yeah, I kind of, I don't know. I've always been confused about that. Like, I know that you can, like, mark it down to, like, the week or the, but, like, how do you know? Yeah, like, if you're, I don't know, that's an interesting thing. But it's a better story, so let's just, we're just going with yeah, it. Yeah, no, no, I'm, I'm totally on board. So, before we get into, like, the next big thing, I just want to talk a little bit about the kids when they were growing up and this whole thing. So, she describes Courtney. She's like, when Courtney was born, she's like, I never, she's like, I thought that I loved Robert so much, and I did. She's like, but I didn't even know what love was until I had Courtney. She's like, I've never in my life loved anything like I loved that baby. And she said, she was like, Courtney would go with us everywhere. She's like, she would be in the little, on the little, uh, like, bassinet everywhere we went. She's like, she was the perfect baby, and she was, she made our life so full. And then she says, when Kim was born, the the first thing that she describes Kim as, she's like, Kim was the most beautiful child I have ever seen. She's like, the second I saw her, I said, she has the face of an angel. Yeah, and she she describes that right after she was born, it like couldn't have been more than a couple of weeks, that she walked downstairs and Robert was just staring at her in the bassinet and they were just both like, how is it possible to have a, a daughter this beautiful? And, and the way they were saying, even from the time she was conceived on this glamorous trip in Aspen, she was like, she was like, every aspect of how Kim came to be is just so fitting. It was like such a self-fulfilling prophecy. It was like Kim Kardashian was Kim Kardashian from the time they had sex in Aspen. Yes. Also important to note that she loved the name Courtney, but she really wanted it with a K, and that was a conscious decision. So it wasn't like she just named Courtney with a K and then had the rest of the Ks follow. It was very, very conscious, all of them. It's so interesting because she's talking about naming Courtney with a K and Chloe with a K, and she was like, I've, I've never seen it before. No one had ever done it before. In my mind, I never even thought it was weird. I'm like, yeah, because we're so used to Courtney with a K and Chloe. That I never thought about the fact that everyone spelt it with a C. I think it's weirder when I see Chloe with a C. Yeah, it because looks of- so unnatural. Exactly. Like, you guys spelt your name wrong. It's so embarrassing. <laughs> exactly. So then she has Chloe, and she says that Chloe, when she was born, she's like, from the second she was born, she just looked different than the rest of the family. She was blonde. She was. She didn't look as Armenian as the rest as the other two right. did. And but she, she said she looked like Robert's grandmother and somebody like what's not like um Robert's grandmother. Robert's mother, maybe, and, like, Chris's grandmother, she Mm -hmm. looked like. And so it was, like, it wasn't, like, like, everyone always says when they're talking about Chloe, it's, like, she looks like no one in the family. Like, they're, like, no, she looked like people in the family. She just didn't look like the other siblings. Exactly. And the way she described all of the the girls before Robert was born, like, what they wore, she's, like, they would be in baby Dior with their hair. Like, it was exactly what you would imagine the Kardashians growing up in. That's what they were dressed in. That's what they were. Not a hair out of place. Everyone had a bow in their head, like. It was, and I said to Julie, I was like, listening to her audiobook and reading this, I always thought my mom was so similar to Chris, not only the way she looks. Oh, I couldn't believe it. I felt like I was listening to my mom in so many ways. Like, it was just crazy. So three years later, that's when Rob was born. And they had wanted a boy so badly. So they said, we're going to try again, and we're not going to know until until it comes out. They didn't want to know ahead of time. And they said, we're praying for a boy, but like, whatever it is, we're, we're going to love it. And they're in the delivery room. And the doctor says to her, like, I just want to let you know, I think it's going to be a girl. Like, I'm not sure, but I think it's going to be a girl. And she's like, he's like, I don't want you to be disappointed when I take the kid out and it's a, and it's a girl. Like, I don't want you to start crying. So she's like, we prepared for the worst, basically. Right. And the baby's name was going to be Kelly if it was a girl. Interesting fact. Yeah. She, they always knew that it was going to be Robert Arthur if it was a boy. And it comes out and it's a boy. And she says that Robert's family was so over the moon because of how badly they wanted a male to continue the generation, the the legacy. She's like, my mother-in-law brought me this brooch, this what do you brooch, brooch. Like a, this gorgeous, gorgeous brooch that had been in the family for years, I think. I think she said it was like diamond and emerald. She was like, and I said, she's like, I was thinking, what about when I got my three other kids? She's like, it didn't matter. It was like the birth of this boy was the most, I don't even know, like 
magnificent occurrence that could have happened in this family. Right, it was like a miracle. It was a miracle. They it's were- so funny. I was saying to you, as we're listening to her talk about each of these kids, it was like, we wanted a baby, Courtney was conceived. Then we decided we wanted another, then we conceived Kim right away. Wanted another, Chloe. Wanted a boy, Robert. Like, it was like, how do you just do that? Only Kris Jenner can be like, I want these kids and I want them in this specific way and I want them at this specific time and it just works out for her. Yeah, she just like talked to God and he was like, yeah, sounds good. Yeah. Like, it was, it he was, was so, like, yeah, you deserve it. It they're was gonna, so casual. They're going mean, to be something pretty uh, pretty good one day. Talk about fertile as fuck. All no, of them that motherfucker is fertile. All of them are. I mean, Chloe, Chloe um, experiencing infertility with Lamar, which now later, in my belief, that was divine intervention. Was the it wasn't first divine intervention. She wasn't taking her fertility because she I didn't mean, want to have a baby with it. Yeah, but I also think that like there was a reason she still could have gotten pregnant even if she wasn't. I'm saying the fact that she ever had any sort of fertility issues was an outlier for this family. Oh, yeah. I mean, literally, I cannot believe how fertile Kris Jenner is. It's unbelievable. She should be the face of fertility. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. She could have been 20 <laughs> kids in counting if she wanted to. <laughs> Kate who? So remember, they get married in 1978. I'm taking you now to 1989. <sighs> This was when, what is there something you want to say first? Because this is intense. Yeah, we, because we skipped over. It's not important, but the whole OJ Nicole friendship, it, it, there's a lot to that. Okay, you know what? You're right. Sorry, guys. We'll, we'll get to okay. that in a couple minutes. This is important. Like, somebody's like, I'm like, what? Did you fail to mention a detail about OJ? We're backing up. <laughs> so OJ was obviously Robert's friend from before he even knew Chris or before he had met Chris, but he, um, Chris is talking about how Nicole came into the picture and how he OJ was still married at the time and Nicole was so young but so beautiful like the most beautiful woman like anybody had ever seen like her beauty was just like beyond and Chris didn't expect that she was going to have anything in common with Nicole and they started going on vacations together and doing all these things and Nicole became her best friend and it was just so interesting listening to Chris talk about it from her perspective of Nicole and OJ because she was saying how much OJ loved her and like couldn't believe he was with this gorgeous girl and they got married and they had two kids. And in 1976, she talks about this trip where she went to New York for the Olympics with, um, I don't know, it was in New York. I, she went to the 1976 Olympics with Robert, OJ, and Nicole because OJ was announcing. That was the Olympics that Caitlin had won the decathlon in. That was like the, so it was just like the craziest thing. She was like, and everyone was like, at the time, Bruce Jenner won. And she was like, who is Bruce Jenner? She'd never heard the name before. Mm -hmm. And it was just so interesting. It was such like a foreshadowing moment. But, you know, she continues to describe this relationship with Nicole and OJ and how they were always together. And at kind of the time that she was a little iffy on her marriage with Robert was when Nicole was also going through things with OJ. And she was saying that like, Nicole would start to tell her about OJ getting physical with her, that something was off and these cheating. And and Chris, like, wasn't sure what she was saying. And she was kind of using her own implications, but was kind of ignoring it because she, like, her and OJ were so close, obviously, that it was like, well, OJ is such a good guy. And she tells us one story that she was with... Um, she was with Nicole and she looks outside and Nicole walks in and there's this gorgeous white Ferrari parked outside. She says, Nicole, what's that? And and she's like, yeah, OJ, uh, OJ, like it's my uh, apology gift from whoever OJ slept with this week. And it's just so interesting, like the whole friendship. And she said at one point that OJ beat the shit out of Nicole. Like that was when they had the pictures that surfaced during the trial that OJ beat the shit out of her. And that was when Nicole finally was like, this is enough. I can't do this anymore. Yeah. Just to take you back for a couple, a couple things that I want to say about what you said. Number one, the thing, the time that Julie was talking about with the Ferrari, she says that when, you know, Nicole walks in, she's like, 
I was so focused on the Ferrari and how beautiful yeah. it was that I completely ignored the emotional like distress that was caused by like the reason for it happening in the first place. She's like, and you know, yeah, Nicole never said that he, that I'm being abused. She's like, she never used those words, but this is her words on mine. She was like, but I should have known. She's like, and to this day, that is my biggest regret in life that I never asked more questions, that I didn't ask the right questions, that I wasn't as in tune with it, which you you see this all of the time with friends of women who are being abused, that they get this like overriding guilt. And she talked a lot about that. And she cited this one trip that I just think is really important for context. They were, I forget where they were going. I'm going to say Aspen, but it probably wasn't. And it was for Chris's birthday. And, you know, they get back to the hotel and they're going out for a night, the four of them. It's her, Robert, OJ, and Nicole. And they're about to go out for this night of dancing. And OJ walks out of the hotel room and says to her, Nicole's not coming. Um, she has the flu. She's like, what do you mean she has the flu? Like, sh- we were just hanging out. And he's like, she's not coming. And, and she's like, oh, that's ridiculous. And she like tries to get past OJ to, to open the door to see like, does she need soup? Does she need what? And he wouldn't let her get through. And she's like, yeah, I thought it was weird at the time, but I didn't really think anything of it. Later, she came to find out that they had gotten into a huge fight that night. He had beat her up that night. And this was all happening. You know, it wasn't like it was just happening in her orbit. It was literally happening in her proximity. Like, they were on vacation together and in the room next to them, Nicole's getting beat and Chris doesn't know, or maybe on some level subconsciously knew and turned a blind eye to it. But it's really powerful when you hear her talk about it in the book. She cites this as like a major you know, the huge regret. I don't think she'll ever get rid of that guilt. No, I don't think so either. But it's it's so interesting hearing her account, other people's account of the way OJ and Nicole were together. And the reason that OJ and Nicole are so important to who, you know, this Chris plot line, like the deep dive is that like, it, it became who Chris is. I mean, everything about Chris's future was kind of because of OJ and Nicole almost. And people who knew OJ and Nicole say that like, when they were with other people, they were so in love. So it's like when you have somebody on one hand who like seems like they're so in love and then it's like something off. It's like maybe they're just going through something. And I remember um, one of like my very good friends, dad's um, dressed Nicole. Like she, he styled her and he said, he was like, OJ loved her. He was like, I never had a doubt about that. OJ would come in and man, look how gorgeous she is. Have you ever seen somebody so beautiful in your life? And he would buy her whatever she wanted and, and he would, she would get these extravagant dresses and and he would show her off and be like look how gorgeous this woman is and from Chris's perspective of who she is and who her what her marriage was like where she has Robert who's also showering her in gifts and showering her in love it's like how could anybody how could anything be wrong in that relationship which is just a you know obviously a bigger statement about domestic abuse in general that of it's course. never yeah exactly that it's never what it looks like what you know material all these things and what it looks like to the outside is so rarely what it really is on the inside and I think that this, this was a good lesson for everyone and especially you know for Chris obviously to, to realize that that was clearly not what was happening. You also remember, like, it wasn't 2019. Like, when things went on at home, it was no one else's business. Exactly. It was like, mind your own business, stay out of their personal life. Yeah, and, you know, Chris, she said, um, Chris says that the first time she met Nicole, and Nicole walked in, she's like, she was this tall, fit, tan, blonde girl. She's like, um, she described her as the epitome of a perfect Cali girl. She's like, she was one of the most beautiful women I've ever seen. And I knew in that moment we were going to be lifelong friends. Like they just had an instant connection. And she talks about, you know, after they both had their kids and they got their boobs done together and like all of these things. And like they, they were really, on vacation together, all four of them. It was like, it wasn't like they were just the wives of these husbands that were friends. They became best friends, which I know we all know, but hearing it from her perspective, it really just showed us how intense that friendship was. And she talks about her friendship with OJ, where Chris is like, OJ was a brother to me. She was like, OJ was everywhere. OJ was in my house all the time. I went to OJ's all the time. It was like, 
it's so crazy looking back on it. I mean, I'm sure that she, I'm sure she thinks about it to this day still about like that that time period. Just- oh, she must. We're gonna get into that. I think now's a now's a good transition. Okay, I'm taking you now to 1989. This is the year when Chris had the infamous affair with the soccer player Todd Waterman. At the time, he was 23 and she was 34. The way that they met was that, well, let me backtrack for a second and just say, her and Robert had a fairy tale relationship on every level. They really did. They were madly in love. She, you know, they, they couldn't have been happier. And she says that as the years went on, something inside of her just changed. And she says, like, I don't understand. She's like, I had the perfect guy. I had the perfect kids. I had the beautiful home. I had anything that money could buy. He loved me. He was faithful. And for some reason, I just, I wasn't feeling it. Something like clicked in her. It was a very weird thing. And she was having this almost insatiable need to just feel excitement and love. And she's like, when I was with Robert, I loved him so much, but it was like he was my friend. It was like he was my best friend and I missed the passion. Well, that's the thing is that she got married so young that she missed out. She didn't have these like her 20s and she's now in her 30s and your 30s like as a woman is when you reach your sexual height. Like that's it. Like your 20s, like guys have theirs in their 20s, whatever. Girls, when you're in your 30s, that's when it starts. And what happened? You (laughs) don't know that? No, I just can't wait. You can't wait? (laughs) Like how could a (laughs) guy? Keep going. Um, So she she missed out on this huge part of her life. So now she's 30 years old, four kids, has a full life. And it's like, I she's like, I just felt unfulfilled. She was like, there's this part of me that just like, I, she was like, I wasn't happy. I woke up every day, like literally crying and miserable. And she was like, it was so frustrating because I couldn't even figure out why. And not only could she not figure out why, she's like, I couldn't even talk to anybody about it because what the fuck was I supposed to say? She's like, I sounded ridiculous. She was like, yeah, I'm so sorry. Like, I, I had this perfect life, but I'm sad. Like, I just want to have sex. Like, it, it, it does sound ridiculous. And so, okay, so she describes that she would always go, one of her friends always had these parties and she would always go. And there was always this guy there, this Todd Waterman, and they never really interacted. She's like, because I was married and I always gave off. She's like, when you're married, you give off this vibe of like, I'm married, I'm unavailable, kind of don't look at me. And she said this one night that she went to the party, I guess, she's like, I guess I was not giving off that vibe, clearly because she was so sexually frustrated and so wanted to be just like touched. And they're talking, they're hanging out, they're getting flirtatious. And the friend who had the party says, Chris, can you run upstairs to get the music player? By the way, music player. Yeah. Like, and she's like, I knew the house so well. So of course I went up and he followed me. And she's like, we get to the top of the stairs, we get into the room and he kisses me. She's like, and I have not been kissed like that in years. She's like, I forgot what it was like to be kissed that passionately. And this is the start of the infamous affair. Well, what's also should be noted is that it, it didn't come out of nowhere that her marriage with Robert was kind of unraveling. She had asked him for a separation and she had finally said to him like, there's something off and I need to figure it out and I need space to be able to figure it out. And he said to her, like, I am Ar- we are Armenian. We do not get separated. We either get divorced or we stay married and that's it. And she was like, please, I am begging you. Like, I just need to figure something out. There's something off with me that I need to figure out. I need a separation. I need a break. And he said, he finally gave in and was like, I'm going to go to Palm Springs. And she says that he left. And then two or three days later, he came back and was like, I'm, I'm not doing this. We're not doing the separation thing. And she said, she goes, I honestly believe if he had just given me my space during that time, I would have snapped out of it. She was like, but then I felt so suffocated and so controlled that she, she needed to break out of it. Yeah. So she starts, you know, she sleeps with this guy and then she starts really sleeping with him. And, and, I, and I quote, she goes, 
Um, she describes their relationship as being very sexual, and she says, wild, crazy sex all the time. We had sex in cars, sex on the tennis court, sex in the pool house, sex in the garage when we got home, sex up and down the stairs, sex everywhere, all the time. Todd was once quoted as saying, we did some crazy things. I remember playing tennis at her home with my friend, and Robert was watching us play. We're in the affair now, and I'm sure he suspected at this point. Chris also describes the fact that they always, she's like, I always had tennis instructors at the house and gardeners and this and that. So she's like, he would be at the house when Robert was home and it was never a thing because he was just, oh, a guy that I'm playing tennis with. Like no one ever, it was never a thing until the shit hit the fan, which I'm about to get into. The other thing that's crazy is that Todd describes um, like being close with Chloe. Like he, he was like, I had this really special relationship with Chloe. She was the youngest. She obviously didn't understand anything that was going on. She was like, we would, she was like, he was like, me and Chris would go for drives and Chloe would sit in the back seat. And she was so funny and so cute. And like, like even once, um, this is, this is crazy. Once they had gotten divorced, Robert and Chris, and she was with Todd, Todd said that he remembers Chloe saying to the other girls, like, what, you don't like Todd? Like, you don't like him? Like, he's so much fun to be with. Yeah, oh my God. Think about now, present day Corey Gamble, like totally different, but just interesting to see the dynamic. I mean, also think about present day Chloe, she would have never said that. (laughs) Chloe would have never been like, oh, it's so cute that you're with him. Like, I really like that guy. If she only knew. She was six at the time, but it's so, oh my God, it's so interesting. It's also interesting. He was a soccer player, and at the time, they didn't really make that much money. So he recounted as like, she paid for everything for him. And I just thought that that was kind of a, you know, fascinating role reversal because in her relationship with Robert, Robert paid for everything to the point, which I, I will get into. She really, she had never paid a bill in her life. She didn't know how much anything cost. It was a hundred percent on his credit cards. He did every bill. And then she's with this guy and she's like the quote sugar mama. And I just thought she's that was- She's the sugar mama. She's using Robert's money to pay for him. Right. It was like a, what's, what's the word? Like a, uh, what's the word? Domino effect. You yes, know what I mean? Yes. Yeah. So I guess Robert had some sort of a suspicion and he hired a private investigator to follow them. And he follows them to this restaurant in Beverly Hills and they're having lunch in the same booth together and Robert walks in on them. He leaves, she follows him. They have, you know, they get back to the house. They have a massive fight at the house. And it was like, groundbreaking. I mean, this was, holy shit. She, she never thought she was gonna get caught. I mean, the other thing is, is, the way she describes it at the time is that this affair was so passionate, but they spent every second together, every every moment they could. So like I said, with the, with the previous lie, when she was making excuses to see Robert, now that she's making excuses to see Todd, she's coming up with these crazy excuses and she's saying to her girlfriends and she's saying to her, Robert, oh, I'm just going to get my car washed. Like I'm going for an hour to go this, this. And everyone knew she there was something going on because they, like she literally said, she's like, one of my girlfriends literally looked at me and said, how many times can you get your car washed? So Robert obviously suspected something because it was just, where are you going? And when he finally... Um, caught them. He was like, so this is who you're spending all your time with. And she says he caught them three other times. Yeah. You know, what's interesting is that he didn't file for divorce after the first time. Like he really thought that they could work through it. And she did too. She said every single time, she's like, every single time I said this was going to be the last time. She's like, but it's like, you know, when you're addicted to smoking cigarettes, it's never the last cigarette unless you get help. And she's like, I was unwilling to get help because I was having too much fun. This is the epitome of when we always talk about like sex sometimes just takes over. And that's exactly what was happening. I'm not saying she didn't like his company. They got along well, but it was like the sexual awakening that she was feeling that I think she was, she became addicted to and admittedly so. So after, you know, catching them multiple times, Robert files for divorce in 1991. And when Chris talks about telling the kids, she said they just cried and cried and cried. And Courtney was 11, Kim was 10, Chloe was six, and Robert was two. She still says that this was, 
I don't know if she, I don't know if she said the biggest regret of her life, but the, the thing that she feels the most guilty about in her entire life, like that she ripped her family apart, that she did this to her kids. Those were the words that she used. Yeah. Well, I think that if she never had Kendall and Kylie, that this would have been like unfathomable for her because she knows she was like, I literally wrecked a marriage and my family because I was bored. She was like, I was so selfish. I was so young. I didn't know what I was doing. And like this just awakening me took over. And by the time I realized what I was doing, it was just too late. She was like, I destroyed everything. She was like a hurricane. She just destroyed everything in her path. Yeah. Also um, at the time, so, you know, they're going through a divorce, all this stuff, just to really add on to it, MJ, she gets a call that her mom is sick. Her mom had already, MJ had already battled breast cancer and she now was diagnosed with colon cancer. So Chris is going through this divorce and she has to go to San Diego to like see her mom. And she says that, you know, she went with Todd and they get there and Todd's like, what do you want me to do? And she's like, can you just wait in the car? She's like, and I remember being in the hospital room with my mom being like, what the fuck is wrong with me? Here's my mom fighting for her life. And I have this boy, she used the word boy, this boy waiting in the car for me. Like, I, I, the only word that kind of comes to my mind to describe this period of her life was she was not grounded. She was just floating. Yeah. She didn't have her roots anywhere. She was really having like a midlife crisis, but at 30. And the other thing that she was saying is she was so depressed during this time because A, she had just destroyed her marriage. Her mom was sick. And she was just like going with the motions. Like she didn't feel anything. She wasn't present. She would, she didn't know what was going on. And she's like, I had these four kids to take care of. And I just like didn't even know who I was anymore. And now my mom's sick. And she describes being in the hospital room with her mom. She's like, my mom did not raise me to be like this. She's like, my mom is a pillar of strength. My mom is sitting here fighting for her life and doing it so gracefully. And here I am destroying my own for absolutely no reason. She's like, I have to get it together. Yeah. She said, she's like, I couldn't even feed my kids. She's like, every little activity, every motherhood activity that I used to, it used to be my greatest joy in life was painful. She's like, feeding them breakfast was miserable to me. I was going through the motions. It was just a really intense time. So anyway, she's still with Todd and she kind of thought, you know, this fairy tale thing. And she's very quickly started to realize he was so young. It, this, this was not what she thought it was. And one night she's like calling him, calling him. He's not answering. So she decides, fuck it. I'm going to go to his apartment. She goes to his apartment at 12 o'clock at midnight and there's a car there. And she's like, oh, it's kind of weird. Maybe it's just a friend. And she uses the key that she had. She opens the door and she finds him in bed with another woman. And he, you know, it's crying, please, please, please. She's nothing, she's nothing, whatever. I think that was a really hard realization to her when she was like, okay, this is clearly not what I what I yeah. thought it was. Well, she said she breaks up with him, but they weren't even like, they still slept together. Like they still, it was just, she couldn't like quit him. <sighs> yeah, we're, we're gonna get into how that manifested itself into her next relationship in about a second. We're just taking a second to tell you guys about honey. Okay, so what is honey? Let's talk about something we can all agree on, saving money. Honey is a free browser extension that scans the web for coupon codes and discounts while you shop online. So Honey automatically applies the biggest savings to your cart at checkout, like magic. It works on over 20,000 sites like Amazon, Nordstrom's, J.Crew, Nike, Best Buy, Target, Macy's, and so many more. It takes zero effort to install, just two clicks, and you'll start saving anytime you shop online. So I tried this because I was kind of confused also. I did it on Nordstrom's. I bought this pair of shoes that was like, I don't, I don't even remember how much, let's say 96 or something. And I ended up getting it for like 80 something dollars. So I ended up saving and I was like mind blown. Um, there's so many testimonials online. One of them is this woman, Irene, she writes, I totally thought honey was a scam, but I just got $300 worth of bathing suits for $180, which kind of speaks to the point that I think a lot of people have, which is that you may think it sounds too good to be true. For example, it's free, it saves you money, but what's the catch? 
The thing is, it's pretty simple. When you use a coupon coupon provided by Honey, they earn a small commission from the merchant, and they pass along some of the savings to their members. So it's a win-win for everybody. They're super transparent about how it, how it works. It's kind of like, why wouldn't you do it? Because you're just saving money on stuff that you were already buying. So look, there's really no reason to not use Honey. It's free to use and easy to install on your computer in just two clicks. Don't take it from me. Take it from our listeners. Get Honey for free at joinhoney.com slash CBC. That's joinhoney.com slash CBC. Honey, online savings simplified. So Mother's Day is coming up, and I know sometimes it can be difficult figuring out what to get your mom because realistically, no gift is going to do justice for how much you love and appreciate her. But I'm sure you've done the classic, you know, bathrobe, candle, sweaters, gift cards. If you're looking to mix it up, I want to tell you about Aura Frames. So they were named the best digital photo frame by Wirecutter. And it's just the kind of gift that is guaranteed to bring joy because realistically, there's nothing our parents love more than seeing us. So for them to be able to see more of us, even if you don't live close by, like that is probably the best gift you could give a parent. They're Wi-Fi connected. They come with unlimited storage. So you can share as many photos as you want from your phone to your mom's frame. And it's easy to set up. It takes about two minutes to set up a frame using the Aura app. We have one in my kitchen and every time my dad comes down for breakfast, like it just makes him so happy. There's pictures of me, pictures of me and my parents when I was little, pictures of my grandparents. Like I think as a parent, you never get sick of that. And it's just the kind of gift I know she will love. Right now, Aura has a great deal for Mother's Day. Listeners can save on the perfect gift by visiting AuraFrames.com to get $30 off plus free shipping on their best-selling frame. That's A-U-R-A frames.com. Use code CBC at checkout to save. Terms and conditions apply. So we're now going to take you into the beginning of her relationship with Caitlin. And I just want to make like an editor's note before we even start this. In the past, when we were discussing their relationship, when we would talk about events, you know, present day, of course, we would refer to Caitlin as Caitlin. But if it was something that happened back in the day, we would say Bruce because we thought that that was correct. We received feedback, really nice, like kind, respective, informative emails from followers saying like, totally get that you guys try to be super respectful. Like in the trans community, it's really preferred to always refer to the person by their chosen name. So we will, throughout the entirety of this episode, be referring to Caitlin as Caitlin, even if it was, you know, events in the 80s, whenever it was, just for clarity purposes. Okay, so a little bit of background. She was born on October 28th, 1949 in Mount Kisco. She achieved world fame competing in the men's decathlon and winning gold and setting a world record. You know all this stuff. I mean, She was an icon in the athletic world, absolutely. A little more background, she's been married three times, first to Christy Scott, then Linda Thompson, um, and then, of course, Chris. What's really interesting, sorry, because I know we're trying to time sake, but what's so interesting is that Linda Thompson dated Elvis from 1975 to 1976. Elvis and Priscilla had gotten divorced in 1973, but... I mean, Linda dated Elvis. I'm sorry. That was when Robert dated Priscilla was from 1975 to 1976. And Linda dated Elvis from 1972 to 1976. This is, talk about everybody being so connected. And this always comes up in the world of Kardashian, but I think also just in Hollywood in general. It's like, you can't, everybody is so goddamn connected. It's unbelievable. This is where the start of the whole like Jenner Kardashian tree traces it back. And fun fact, we found out just random, Brody Jenner's real name is actually Sam Brody Jenner. It's his middle name. Crazy. Random, but I just had no idea. Okay. So in 1990, Chris and Caitlin were set up on a blind date. And Chris was kind of reluctant at first because she didn't really know who Caitlin was. And she said that like once they went out, she was immediately drawn to Caitlin because of 
these old-fashioned tendencies. And she cites the fact that they went out to eat and she ordered, Caitlin ordered, uh, mashed potatoes and meatloaf, I think, which like was such a, you know, meat and potatoes type of, type of thing. Right. Like it was, I, I don't know if, I, this may sound so weird and I could totally be off. To me, it was almost like paternal in a way. Not that she was looking for a father figure. That's not what I mean. But, but, yeah, but I mean, it's like a dad orders mashed potatoes and, and meatloaf. Exactly. Yeah, you're so right. You know? So they got married only five months after meeting, which interesting just because if you look at, you know, her kids' lives, Chloe, like a lot of them. It's quick. Yeah. It's quick. And Caitlin had described her life in the time before she met Chris saying that, and I quote, in 1990, you would have found me living in a one-bedroom Los Angeles bungalow, my sink piled high with dirty dishes and my living room decorated with a dried out Christmas tree. My main source of income was from public speaking jobs, at which I always wore my best attire, an out of style 1976 tuxedo. I was drifting. I had worked really hard and didn't have much to show for it, but everything turned around the day I met, the day I met Chris. What I think is so like, I have to use a better word than interesting. I, I know don't we, know another word. I, know, I have been struggling this entire me, me episode. Too. I, I know we say it too much. I'm sorry. It just It really is interesting. I know there are other words. It's just when we're talking, that's what comes to our minds. I'm so I'm sorry. But anyway, what I found was so fascinating about this was that Caitlyn was the exact opposite of Robert Kardashian. The way that Caitlyn just described herself in that paragraph is the Opposite of Robert. Robert shows up every day in a different color Rolls Royce. The the yeah. You know when I mean? she describes, oh my god, when she describes the way Robert dressed, it was like Robert showed up with slacks and a sport jacket and a different pair of Gucci loafers every day, and Robert oh, with a gorgeous watch on, dressed the nines, and like it was so opposite with Caitlyn. In this situation, you know, when she was with Robert, it was kind of like she was going into his world of high class and elegance and glamour, and in this situation, Caitlyn was stepping now into Chris's world. But the thing that's also crazy is that. Caitlyn was no stranger to this world. Caitlyn was an American hero. I mean, from this time, it was a little bit after the Olympics. So that's why, you know, her career had kind of declined and people kind of didn't get, but like, think about Caitlyn on the front of the Wheaties box. Caitlyn was the pinnacle of, of American, like, heroism at mm-hmm. that time. And it's not like, you know, Chris was bringing in this person who was off the streets and just showing them high society. It was like, this is somebody who was already kind of in the mix, but just wasn't in it in the same way that Robert was. Exactly. So after they got married, that's when Chris started to manage Caitlin's career. And a lot of that was booking her for motivational speaking, which as we know, once we started to watch, you know, Keeping Up in Later Seasons, that's where a large portion of Caitlin's income came from. Also, Chris and Caitlin did these like infomercials together called Super Fit with Bruce and Chris Jenner. That was the name of it. And apparently it was like, <laughs> they sold more than $450 million of fitness-related products by the late 1990s. Like, it was a hit. This gave me, like, Lisa Rinna vibes. Yeah. You know? Um, so January to October of 1995, which was um, five years after they got married, that was the O.J. Simpson trial. We're obviously not getting into the details. You know about it. We've done a bonus episode on it. But just that was a, a major time in her life, and it was five years after they had been married. So that same year, November, was when Kendall was born. And again, you know, Kendall's middle name is Nicole as a way to honor Nicole, who had just passed away. I don't think I realized that they waited so long after they got married to have kids. I wonder why that is. Five years, yeah. Because, I mean, knowing knowing Chris, fertile. Fertile, could have had it any time. I know. I think it was maybe— and you could totally tell me I'm wrong. It could have been from a financial perspective, not that they didn't have the money because now she was getting an allowance and she was getting alimony, but he, you know, she was really just starting to build up Caitlyn's 
financial portfolio, I guess, from a business perspective. So maybe that's no, why. No, I know. I just, I think in my mind, I was like, oh, they got married and they immediately had kids and it so wasn't the it case. It so wasn't the case. So 1995, Kendall's born and 1997, Kylie is born. Chris cites the fact that she said, having Kendall and Kylie is the only thing that kind of has made me wrap my head around the whole affair and everything that happened in my marriage with Robert because clearly there was like a bigger purpose. Because if she, she's like, if I didn't have them, I, I don't know. I don't know if I would ever have been able to forgive myself. Right. So we didn't want to get too much into their marriage because we kind of, we, we saw it all play out. I mean, we saw, you know, like that's yeah, all like stuff. Yeah, like Caitlin that, was the, Caitlin's taking such good care of kids that weren't even biologically hers. Like we saw it all play out during Keeping Up with the Kardashians. It was kind of the same as what you saw just a little bit earlier. Mm-hmm. No. And, you know, we'll, we'll get into the, the transition and all that and how that affected their marriage. But I want to take you to 2006, and that was the inception of Keeping Up with the Kardashians. So Chris met with Ryan Seacrest about, you know, just casually about creating a reality show about her family. And I quote, everybody thinks that my children could create a bunch of drama in their lives, but it's something that I felt I didn't even have to think about. It would be so natural. So Ryan had his own production company, Ryan Seacrest Productions, and he was like, you know what, let's develop the idea. So he loosely based it off the Osbournes kind of in terms of format. So he was like, okay, let's do a test. So he brought a camera crew to one of their Sunday barbecues and he shared the footage with E. The show was picked up and it was set to be produced like by Ryan Seacrest Productions and Bonham Murray Productions. So I just thought this was like kind of crazy. The announcement for Keeping Up With The Kardashians came one week after Nicole and Paris announced the end of The Simple Life, which talk about reality TV, like heroism, the passing of the torch. Well, it's also, I wonder if, you know, obviously, Simple Life ended because Nicole and Paris weren't friends anymore. And that season four of The Simple Life, I don't know if you remember, it, all the, the previous se- three seasons were them doing everything together. They went to the houses. They, they, the fourth season, they went to the houses and they went separately. It didn't work. So they the, the show ended. I just wonder if they had stayed friend and the show was a hit in season four, would Kardashians have even been made? That- would E be in the search for another show like this? Or would they have been fine because they already have this glamorous people living a life? That's the thing. It's like Paris and Nicole walked so Kris Jenner could run. You know yeah. what I mean? Like, seriously. I mean, Paris literally walked so Kim could run. Literally. literally. Yeah. So, Keeping Up with the Kardashians premieres October 14th, 2007. Julie writes in parentheses, how is that not a national holiday? Kids in Calabasas should get the day off from school. They, they honestly should. First of all, Calab- how is that not? Calabasas, like, I'm not saying that it wasn't well known, but... It really fucking made it to Calabasas on the goddamn map. map. Yeah. So the series was renewed for a second season just one month after its premiere due to high ratings. Fucking obviously. Like literally fucking duh. Duh. Where are we? 17 seasons later? 16, yeah. 16. Going on 17. Or maybe, yeah, 16. It's just unbelievable. I don't know if we're in a mid-season break or if we're starting a new season. Yeah, we'll we'll find out shortly. Anyway, you know, so now they really start to take off. And as you guys know, Chris is momager. So she managed, starting from the beginning, she's always managed all of her kids' careers. So she gets 10% of each. She managed Caitlyn's career when they were married. She opened Smooch, which was the children's clothing store in 2004 with Courtney. It was in the same shopping center. I know you all remember this if you watched the earlier seasons as Dash, which remember Dash was like the biggest thing. Smooch closed in 2009 and um, Dash opened in 2006. And then as of April, 2018, all of the Dash stores were closed. So it was about, I don't know, a 10 to 14 year run between the two of, two of those stores from start to finish. It's just... Looking at Chris's career now, it it was really, you know, listening to her talk about Robert after the divorce when she realizes that she has no money because, and she doesn't even know how to pay the bills. And she says, she's like, 
I said to myself, I'm never letting myself end up in that position again. She, Because she said, she's like, I, I had a card for this and I had a card for that and I didn't pay the bills and I didn't realize how much I was spending. She's like, I knew nothing. And in this, her relationship with Caitlin was obviously so different. She went from this marriage with Robert where, you know, everything she did was, and not necessarily in a bad way, she says, but everything she did was controlled. She didn't have a say over, you know, what happened, it just happened. And she didn't want to have a say at the time. She didn't realize. And then after everything kind of fell apart, she's like, I am never putting myself in a situation again where if something goes wrong, I'm not in control. And you see that in her marriage with Caitlin. It was it was a complete, you know, 180 from what it was with Robert. With Caitlin, it was like, Chris was in charge. It was the Chris Jenner show throughout the whole time. And I remember people, I remember watching with my dad and him being like, oh my God, she is so controlling over him. He can't do anything or she can't do anything. And it's just so the contrast between the two is so telling of who Chris is now. It really is. I mean, when she filed for divorce from Robert, she couldn't pay the $10,000 lawyer retainer. Her friend had to loan her the money. Also, imagine having a retainer for a lawyer that's only $10,000. Could you imagine nowadays? <laughs> like, what? Forget it. I know. Like, no wonder everyone's getting divorced in the 80s. It was yeah. like a freaking cakewalk. <laughs> So in 2011, Chris released her book, Chris Jenner, Chris Jenner and All Things Kardashian. And in July 2013, this is when she had her daytime talk show called Chris. It was given like a six-week trial run. It wasn't extended. The only real iconic thing that came off of that was that Kanye went on and showed the first picture of North, which at the time it was honestly a generous move of his because that show was plummeting. Yeah. It's, it's surprising. You would think that a Chris Jenner talk show would be so successful, but sometimes it just doesn't work. Yeah. It, the two don't necessarily translate. I think that had it be done, maybe now it could have, but it's, it was a lot of oversaturation at the time. And no one, I mean, also everyone wants to watch Chris in the role as mother. No one wants to watch her in the role as interviewing somebody. Exactly. Um, just in terms of her other business ventures, in October 2014, she released a cookbook entitled Kitchen with Chris, a collection of Kardashian-Jenner family favorites. Of course, collection is spelled with the K, just... And also, like, <laughs> I just laugh about the boxed lemon cake. It's like, what do you write in your recipe book? Buy a box of lemon cake and make it in the instructions the way it says on the back? I mean, that's like, talk about poosh. Like, do we need Courtney to tell us that, like, drinking water is healthy? But we're like, wow, fucking revolutionary. Okay, I don't even know what you're talking about. I don't know why you just, like, shit on poosh. You, like, you literally get a life, Emma. Like, fucking yeah, get a computer, get on poosh, and get your shit together. If you listen, you know that Julie's a loyal poosh follower. Okay. Let's get into Chris and Caitlin's divorce because that was super traumatic for all parties involved. So like literally for myself too. For all of us. Um, so October, 2013, they announced their separation and it was kind of, you know, they were still together, but they were living separately for the sake of their marriage. It was kind of confusing. The, the lines were a little bit blurred. And April, 2014, Chris Instagrammed a picture for her anniversary with Caitlin and she wrote, happy anniversary to one of the most amazing men I know. I love you. Wow, 23 years. Hashtag love. Hashtag we are officially vintage. Do you remember where you were when you saw that Instagram? Yeah, I because fucking they, do. Were, they were definitely not like together together at this time. But they also, this is when they also went to Thailand. And it was really unclear what the state of their relationship was because they weren't living together. I believe they were fully separated, not in a like, romantic relationship, but they were still hanging out and being with the kids. Yeah, and this was, that was in April, okay, the Thailand trip. And the Thailand trip and her Instagram both happened in April. It was in December of 2014 when they officially divorced. So it was only a couple months after. So I can only imagine what was happening in that interim. Well, if you remember, you know, Kaylin was growing her hair out and and people started noticing. Like it was on magazine covers everywhere. And everyone was like, this the storyline is so weird. Why are people like making this up? Like Kaylin's just growing her hair out. And then it was like, Oh, there's more here. Like, there's a lot more here. Yeah, little did we know. So April 2015, exactly one year after the infamous Instagram post, Caitlin comes out as transgender. She did so in the 2020 special with Diane Sawyer. 
And in it, she says, Chris is a really good woman and I love her to death. The love and acceptance I've gotten from Chris is absolutely overwhelming. June of that year is when Caitlin introduces herself on the cover of Vanity Fair. And in discussing her split with Chris, she says, and I quote, I think in a lot of ways she became less tolerant of me. Then I'd get upset and the whole relationship kind of fizzled. And the reason behind their divorce was, quote, 20% gender and 80% the way I was treated. If there was anything that I wish there were cameras in, it was this, like the heat of, I know I know we saw it on Keeping Up, we didn't see the, we didn't really see it. And for their sake, I'm happy that we didn't, but I am have so many questions. I mean, uh, what essentially happened with them is uh, Chris, you know, looking back on the relationship says like, Caitlin was like miserable. Like no one saw it really, but Caitlin was just so there. She was clearly hiding something and she like on edge all of the time. And, and Chris says like, it, she said he was married to me, but it wasn't who he wanted to be married to. And he was, she was so miserable because of that. And, uh, you know, Chris is, you know, Caitlin says it was 20% gender, 80% the way she was treated. But I think that it had a lot to do with the way that Caitlin, you know, was expressing herself at the time and, and the way she was acting towards Chris, that there was so much resentment between the two of them that it was, it was, it was never destined to work. But a lot of that was, you know, Caitlin's gender identity, because that's where a lot of Caitlin's frustrations came from. Yeah. And I mean, if you remember when they talked about this, like Kim, Kim and Courtney cite the fact of growing up and seeing Caitlin in in dresses and they would walk into Chris's closet and they would see Caitlin dressed up and they, they knew, but they didn't really know. Yeah. And it didn't happen frequently. They caught him, they caught her one or two times and. Exactly. And Chris describes her divorce from Caitlin as, quote, the most passive-aggressive thing I have ever experienced. Listen, we, you know, this was when they were really in the spotlight. This was, they were just as famous then as they are now. And it was, it was a traumatic experience, like I said, for every single person involved, for the kids, for, you know, I think, I think also just inter-sibling wise, because at the end of the day, listen, uh, Kim and Chloe and Courtney and, and, and Rob were close with Caitlin, but it was Kylie and Kendall's father, like it's right. a, it's so there's that dynamic. There was just a lot going on, and it was messy, and it was rough, and it wasn't until I would say relatively recently. I'm not even saying they're on they're on good terms now, but it wasn't until recently where things that kind the of settled. Kind of calmed, yeah, exactly. Where it wasn't like you know someone would say Caitlyn's name, and I almost felt like Chris was she couldn't she couldn't even be in the same room as as the, the name, you know? Yeah, it was it was a really volatile time. Yeah, and I, I'm proud of them. I think that they've really. Chris seems like supportive of Caitlyn's relationship now and, and vice versa and all that. Do you feel comfortable moving on to Corey? I always feel comfortable moving on to Corey. Okay. So Corey was born November 10th, 1980. Julie writes, Chris loves a good Scorpio, M. That she does. You know what's funny is I always make fun of you and like literally every time we do the outlines, I'm the one that brings it up. I know, I know. But I love it. I think it's just like osmosis. Um, this was in, he was born in Atlanta. He's 38 and she is 63. So there's a 25-year age difference. Which is like, hey, she's living, you know? No, literally good for her. Let me just give you a little background about Corey because I feel like everybody knows of him. He's in the orbit, but nobody has any idea where the fuck he, like he came from, like what his deal is. So he is very successful in his own right. He was a road manager to Scooter Braun. Not really sure of his relationship with Kanye because as you know, at one time Scooter managed Kanye. I don't know of their dynamic. Obviously he's close with, or close-ish with Kanye now. Um, he, he is close with Justin Bieber. He cites him as his nephew. That's like how he refers to Justin. They met August, 2014 at Ricardo Tichy, who is now the CCO of Burberry at his 40th birthday party in Ibiza. Again, 
the things I would do for footage of that night. What would you do? Anything. Anything. Like literally one day I just woke up and Corey Gamble was in our lives. And he's never left since. And listen, I'm happy. She's thrilled. I couldn't be happier for them. I didn't, I never felt that same source of frustration that Chloe felt when they were at Palm Springs a couple weeks ago. And Chloe was pissed that Corey was there. Of course you didn't. (laughs) Why would you? Why would you feel that same source of frustration? What do you mean? That's, we take on a lot of vicarious emotions through I get that, but but you you didn't have to physically walk into the Palm Springs house. I understand. God damn it. And also, I wish if I you did. walked into the Palm Springs house, there's no way you'd be like, oh, Corey's here. <laughs> like, you'd be upset that you walked into the most gorgeous house I've ever seen in my life and Corey's there. That's what I was saying, though. I was watching, like, oh, I love when Corey's here. I love watching the I dynamic. I love watching them interact. I could, I could watch them every day. When Kylie bought her that Ferrari and Chris came out in her pajamas, she's wearing no makeup, and Corey's right behind her, like, oh my God. Or when they were on, when uh, Chris was at Ariana Grande's video shoot for, for what was it? Thank you, next. Oh, and you what I forgot for? for a second. And Chris, she's in that like juicy uh, tracksuit, and he's like, whoa, whoa, whoa. Like, you can't be wearing this. She's yeah. like, you know what I mean? Like, oh I love that. I love watching them together. Yeah, so they seem happy. Although interesting, on her pot, on the podcast, Divorce Sucks with Laura Wasser, Chris said that it's unlikely that she will get married again. Not surprising to me. There's no point. What's the point of getting married at this? You know what I mean? Yeah. They're not having kids. There's no reason to have the joint finances. Yeah, no, I, I think that, um, I think Chris is, is done with that. Uh, I think so It's also. a lot. Also, like when you've had marriages that have failed, it's like to go through that again is is just, especially at her age. Yeah. So that's, I mean, we're at present day now. She is on top of the world. She's momager. She is the, you know, most glamorous woman, I would say, in in our immediate orbit. So definitely the most glamorous woman to ever grace reality television, in my opinion. Or Easily. At least reality television as we know it. I think just interesting is like her inner circle of friends. Because one thing that has been consistent throughout her entire life, whether in the beginning of her relationship with Robert, throughout the tumultuous parts of their relationship, her relationship with um, Caitlin and the divorce and everything, she's always maintained a very solid group of friends. And I think it's, we should just note a couple of them because they're, you know, they're integral to who she is. Number one is Cece Busey. And we see her all the time on Keeping Up. That's actually Robert's cousin. And she has always been close with Cece. They were close, you know, even before her and Robert got seriously married. And she says that Cece, her relationship with Cece really, like, Cece got a lot of shit for it from that side of the family for staying so close with Chris. Mm -hmm. But Cece loved those kids so much. It was like, of course I'm going to stay close with Chris because that's my into those kids and I never, ever would want to not be a part of their lives. Exactly. And they they know that. Like, they are, they really value Cece. I mean, you see them, them... FaceTime CC and call her for all of these different random things all the time. When Kim in the Vogue video, when she's getting ready for the Met Gala and she calls CC to show her, Scott goes over to hang out with CC on his own. Like they just all have a really special relationship with her. Yeah. Also, Tommy and Dee Hilfiger, they, her and Corey are always on their yacht. I think they were literally there last week. Yeah. Very good friends. If you saw um, when Chris did her closet tour, she did it with with Dee. I think also because wasn't Dee the like creative director for Judith Lieber for a little while yes. or something? Or so just became the creative director, I something. believe. And that's kind of where that all started. I mean, just from a fashion perspective. Also, Sheila Kolker, she's just a longtime friend. She was the one that Chris bought a facelift for as her birthday present, which, like, yeah. Why doesn't more people, why don't more people do that? Is that where you're, are you getting any lips for my birthday? Be honest. Because <laughs> if you're not, just fucking get a new gift. Okay. <laughs> no, but it is Kardashian related. Is it Botox? I'm not telling you. I'm just telling you that. Um, also, Faye Resnick, which you obviously know. If you watch anything, you see her. You also see her in Real Houses of Beverly Hills. She's very close with Kyle Richards. She was, you know, Faye was very close with Nicole Brown Simpson. And when she was alive, the three of them were kind of like a unit. And Faye wrote a book about Nicole after she was murdered. And it was kind of like the first major book to be written after the OJ trial. 
I'm actually surprised that Chris and Faye are still friends after this book because it didn't paint Nicole in the most positive light. It was kind of like an attention-grabbing thing. Mm. And I don't know, maybe Chris didn't see it that way or maybe they, they worked past it afterwards, but it definitely— uh, it definitely wasn't the the classiest move of Faye Resnick to make. Interesting. And of course, you know, then Kyle Richards and, and Kathy Hilton and Kim, she's she's friends with all of them, and she's a million. Her her circle is quintessential Beverly Hills kind of powerhouses. And there's a lot, but those were some of the key players and some of the big names that we know. Also, let me just throw out a couple fun facts. She has the word momager trademark, but she's not allowed to use it for any TV or web programming. There's apparently NDAs when you first walk into her house that have to be signed, and there's a framed sign that apparently says, what we say here, what we see here, let it stay here when we leave here. There's the stack, the stack of NDAs when you first walk into her home. I want those for absolutely no reason. I know, just for no reason. Also, apparently, the Keeping Up with the Kardashian whistle sound is her doorbell sound. Yeah, this woman is a thinks, goddamn icon. She thinks of everything. Let me just tell you something. You know— we see them now, and obviously they're at this massive level of wealth, even more than she was when she was married to Robin, of course. And they, she's always been in that circle, but now it's at a whole nother level. And we see these Kardashian gatherings, and we see Mindy Weiss planning and Jeff Lethem Flowers and all this, and we think, wow, that's glamour. Chris was always glamour. From the second she was married to Robert, even the fact that she had Nixon's former florist as her wedding, it's only escalated. It's not like she got this money and now she's extravagant. She has always had this desire to be a homemaker and an entertainer and a, and a you know, have this, this gracious, beautiful home. It's just now she has the monetary means to really do it big. And you also have to look at MJ. Like, MJ <laughs> MJ was like that, too. MJ raised Chris to be this kind of glamorous woman. And and when she was growing up, she describes that MJ had this gorgeous 1950s T-Bird car that she would drive them around in with a convertible with the top down. And, and, and she always had Chris dressed the exact same way Chris describes dressing her own kids. And, and it's just the whole family line is just—it it just fell into place. It just did. I'm, listen, we— we admire Chris Jenner at a level that I think, and not that it's unique, I think a lot of people do, but we really have, it's more so than just being fans. It's really like a fascination and admiration and adoration and, and almost just, we're in awe of the life that she has built for herself. And I think that she exemplifies strength and grace in so many ways. Yeah. So listen, again, we didn't we didn't fill in everything. We would have been here for four hours if we did, but definitely read her book or listen on audio. The woman who reads it is not her, but sounds a lot like her and has the same kind of inflection. It's, it's really excellent. I don't know. I had so much fun doing this. Did I you? love this episode. I, 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 I truly, I can't believe it. I, I really want to do like a full Caitlin deep dive also because there's so much there. Let's do it. I want to do kind of all of them. Even Kyle, like I want to do them all. Let's do them all. Anyway, guys, we will see you tomorrow for our regular episode. We have Heather McMahon, the hilarious, beautiful, wonderful. I'm so excited for I that can't one. Wait. I'm so excited for that one. Um, and if you enjoyed, remember, please, five-star review and, I mean, five-star rating and review. We really, really appreciate it. I can't tell you how much. Don't forget to subscribe. And we will see you tomorrow. 